all of us, whether you're in, in a, you know, a vocational ministry or you're ministering in your everyday life, you know, we can come to points where we, we look at the dashboard of our soul, as Rob Reimer talks about, and we notice, well, we're getting short with people. We're, we're losing it. You know, we're, uh, we're judging people. We're having, we're having these issues in our hearts. And at those times, those are the times when God is calling to us to come to him for refreshment and refilling. And today's passage is, is such a passage. Uh, Mark and myself and, and probably anyone here who's honest can find themselves in good company with the Apostle Paul and Barnabas, titans of the faith, who we, you know, we tend to elevate biblical people very high. And, you know, they're flawless. They never have issues. If you actually read the Bible, you'd realize that was probably a pretty funny th- thought, um, given, given uh, all the characters in the Old Testament and the things they struggled with. But today we see a little bit of an interpersonal conflict that didn't really, uh, that, was, that was redeemed by God but was not great that happened between Paul and his closest mi- missionary partner, Barnabas. So I hope this is encouraging to you. We're going to kind of talk about what happened, and then we'll uh, reflect on some of the things God might have for us in our lives, in the body of Christ, as we, as we live and move and minister together here at, at New Life, and just for our everyday lives and relationships. I think this will apply very well. So today's passage is in Acts 15, 36. I've been reading pretty large sections of Scripture lately, but this one I wanted to really rest on. I felt it was worth uh, camping out on. Before we get into that, I wonder if you uh, ever, have ever imagined what Paul was thinking when he wrote different scriptures in the Bible, different letters that, he, they, that became scripture for us and God's word for us. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest with you, up until this week. But when Paul writes something in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, such as, get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. I never really thought about it before, but could he have been reflecting on his own life? Well, yes, he could have, because he was a human being. Uh, he was someone who was prone to the same kinds of weaknesses that we can have, where we become overcome with bitterness. Some of us faster than others, depending on what we've been through in life. Rage, that's a scary word. Anger, fighting, talking about people behind their backs, slander. And all kinds of things like that. You know, Paul, being a human, is just as prone to these things as us. And, uh, and ultimately, as amazing as, of a servant as Paul was, uh, he certainly never lifted himself up and said, you know, worship me. It was all about what God was doing through him. But in the end of the day, he was a, he was a human as well. And I think that when he wrote that Ephesians passage, there's a good chance he, he could think of some certain situations that he'd seen in the church, maybe even in the church in Ephesus. But he also thought to himself, I've been guilty of this too. We need to get rid of this stuff if we're going to follow God. So he's like, come on, guys. Let's all go to God and get rid of this stuff. So with that in mind, uh, let's go into Ephesians, uh, I'm sorry, Acts 15, 36 to 41. The heading is disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Seems like a good idea. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement 
that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. That's our whole reading for today, and it might, uh, you might have missed it a little bit if you weren't paying close attention. But here we have two good men with opposite opinions on what should be done. Men who were committed to the mission and vision of the gospel work of Christ, who had two different opinions, and they had what the NIV calls a sharp disagreement. And, and the word for that in the Greek literally means, I'm trying to see if I have the definition here, uh, severely heightened emotion, emotions, not emojis, severely heightened emotions, red and distorted faces, loud voices, things said that maybe should have been left unsaid. They had a sharp disagreement, like big deal. So much so that they were not able to reconcile and they, they formed two different groups where Paul chose Silas, who was a prophet in the church, and, uh, and Barnabas chose John Mark, because Barnabas had an unwavering opinion that John Mark needed to come along, and Paul didn't think that was a good idea. It's interesting to know that John Mark is actually Barnabas's cousin. So he just wanted to bring his little cousin along, I guess, and Paul did not think that prudent for reasons we will talk about uh, today. So a very interesting passage, kind of, kind of this... Uh, Really an episode that can't be viewed through too much spiritualizing, but really it came, it's, it's a fundamental disagreement, difference, you know, knockdown, drag out kind of uh, disagreement that resulted in them parting ways. And uh, to me, a passage like this, is, is, it's fantastic. It's one of many passages where you say to yourself, why would, why would you say that? Why would Luke write that in the, in the Bible? Doesn't that make Paul and Barnabas look less than great? Well, yes, it does, uh, but the Bible actually records a lot of unflattering things about the people in it. If you think about the apostles and the disciples of Jesus, so many different stories cast them in, in, in a bad light or, or a not great light, and, and the very people that are writing about these events are sometimes the people that, that are making themselves look bad. I think the, it's, it's one of those things that makes me say, the Bible's true. This is not a whitewashed picture. This is reality. They, they believe so much in the power and greatness of God that they weren't trying to, you know, whitewash the whole thing and make it look acceptable, but they were just saying, this is what happened. And there's a reason that we need to put these stories in the Bible so that the church can learn from them and grow from them. So even when there's something like this, where people have a sharp dispute and they part ways, it's something that we need to see because it's a warning to us about some of the very things the Bible teaches us about, and indeed, the things that Paul teaches us about such as in the passage of Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. And the first, the first kind of point I bring out of this passage is very simply, and I've said this before, God is God, people are people. God uh, behaves consistently in line with his character at all times, is unwavering in who he is, which is really great for us who are saved by God through Jesus. His commitment to the salvation covenant is unwavering. It's not negotiable. It's not going to go away if we screw up too much. He is committed. He's un unbending, unwavering in his love and his salvation and, and any other attribute you could think of. God is God. People are people. People are what you would expect. 
Just because someone is an apostolic ministry or pastoral ministry or a missionary, uh, uh, international worker ministry like, like Mark and Kathy, we're all just people. Underneath, we have, a, we have a special calling to do something, but we're people. We're prone to the same things all people are prone to, and we have to watch out and remember that it is about God. On our own, yes, we're made in the image of God. Yes, there's wonderful things about us. Uh, we do powerful work in God's power. But it's important for us when looking at a passage like this and these, and these people and looking at our own lives to make sure that we give credit where credit's due when things are amazing and ministry happens. It's God's work. It's who God is, and it's because of God's faithfulness that things happen. Uh, people are people, not always reliable. God is very reliable, and all of the good works that happen in ministry through people like Paul and Barnabas and us are his work and his uh, his uh, power lifted up and put on display. And we have to always remember that, never to glorify a leader. Jesus said to call no man teacher, but only, uh, only God, and he was God. And when someone told Jesus that he was a good teacher, he said, who is good but God alone? He was modeling for us. Remember, even when you see an amazing teacher, an amazing preacher, an amazing pastor, an amazing missionary, an amazing brother or sister in Christ doing some ministry behind the scenes, you think how faithful they are, how amazing they are. Always remember, it's God at work in them, and God needs to always be lifted up and praised for any good thing that happens. Another thing that I pull out of this passage is a reflection from Psalm 7610. I did a word study on this because the translations are varied among the different Bible translations. But looking at the original language, it said, God causes human wrath to serve his praise. Surely the wrath of man shall praise you, the remnant. The remnant of wrath you will put on like a belt. The amazing thing about God is that even in these very broken situations where fellowship is broken, where things don't go as they should, God can redeem even those things and use them for his glory and his praise because God is sovereign and all-powerful. God takes our sin and our brokenness and the dark part of our humanity that behaves poorly, and he can turn it into good, which is good news. So if you look back on your life and you think to yourself, I've had a lot of these kind of situations. I've had a lot of these different things that have happened. I regret them. How can God redeem them? The answer is, he is the God that takes even human anger and turns it to serve his purposes and his praise. David said, the Lord is my lamp. He turns my darkness into light. The man after God's own heart. This is God's redemption. But of course, there's a caveat to that. If we have the attitude of, I'll just do whatever I want and mess around, and God will take care of everything, we should probably question whether we're actually Christians in the first place. Because Paul says in Romans 6.1, you've died to sin. How can you live in it any longer? You know? Uh, how, can you, how can you continue to say, as my sin and my brokenness increases, God's grace increases all the more, so we'll, we'll make people praise God. With an attitude like that, that's a pretty, pretty rough attitude, saying God will just take all of my um, mistakes, and so I'm just going to keep making mistakes and not worry about it, not have any kind of uh, fear of anything bad happening to me. God's, I'll just keep doing what I'm doing, even though I know it's wrong. I'll continue in this way, and God will redeem it. Not a great mindset. But for those who are you know, humbled by the grace of God and have come to faith in Jesus, and they have worries and concerns about their past, things they've done, uh, decisions they've made, and they're concerned, can God really do something in my life? To that person, this is good news. God turns our darkness into light. God can make even human anger 
serve his purposes. Uh, however, we must continue to keep a, a tight rein on these things, which is what the Bible uh, teaches us and what the Holy Spirit teaches us. We need to work on these things God points to in our lives, like we talked about last week. The things the Holy Spirit points to and keep working on them. But we can be comforted by knowing that God does redeem. And uh, the redemption of God in this passage is pretty remarkable. God's sovereignty, the idea that he, he uh, is in control of all things, through this sharp dispute, through this display of kind of broken relationship, God took one missionary team and made two, which is amazing. And all the while, as these two teams were going out, uh, they were finding success in ministry, uh, God, by his Holy Spirit, continued to work in them, continued to probably speak to them, maybe even convict them, reflect on this thing that just happened. Just like with us, God redeems, God multiplies his ministry, and God continues to work with us to bring us to a place where we come into line with his thoughts on a certain matter. So, in today's kind of story, two men with very different personalities, different callings, I would say, have this uh, meltdown and they, and they separate. And God was able to multiply his ministry even through this episode. It's God's ministry, and God can make it happen. Two journeys instead of one. And Paul, being an apostle, he chose Silas, who was a prophet. So I think that, that was uh, someone he thought he could rely on. And Barnabas chose his cousin, John Mark. And which, which really brings me to something I've been alluding to in this passage. If you look at the totality of Scripture and you look at the personalities of these two men, Barnabas and Paul, you have to realize they were pretty much, as far as we can tell, opposites in their personalities. So much so that I think they that in this episode uh, of, of uh, anger and division, I think that they um, almost, I want to say very, very nicely, lacked appreciation for the uniqueness of the other person and how they did things and how they approached things. And uh, something we need to learn from this passage as a warning is we need to be very careful to appreciate and even love the differences God has made each of us with in the body of Christ. It's okay to be irritated by the personality attributes or even the callings of other people in the body of Christ, you know. But we must humbly submit to the king at the end of the day and recognize not only the value of a person's unique gifting and calling, but also recognize that God, over and above that, in his sovereign purpose, purposes, has made them that way for a reason. So there are people that are just opposite of you in your life and in your ministry that you think to yourself, if we're both on the same mission together, how can we think so differently about things? How can we have such a different approach? And the answer is because God uh, has created all these different types of people in order to get the job done. And if you look at uh, Barnabas uh, in the totality of the scripture, his nickname was Son of Encouragement. Son of encouragement. So what does that bring to mind? Would you want to have him to your barbecue? Yeah? Yeah. He's a son of encouragement. I mean, he's the kind of person you'd want to have around when you were having a bad day, when things were going poorly, because he'd be sure to encourage you. Uh, Barnabas had a pastor's heart. And it's very clear to me, for, and, and many commentators I've read, that he put a strong focus on people, individuals, and on relationship. He was a relationally and he was people-oriented. He was a pastor. 
He's the kind of guy that would be happy pastoring a church over a long period of time and find fulfillment in that, in, 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 the, in the journey with, with people. Uh, Barnabas, in fact, is the reason that Paul got launched into ministry. Uh, Paul, uh, Barnabas took a person-centered approach, and when, he, and when uh, Paul was thought by the disciples to be, you know, uh, unchristian or someone who was just trying to come in and ruin the church or, or uh, when he had his dramatic conversion, it was Barnabas who said, you know, give this guy a chance. He's got it. He's called by God. Barnabas is really the reason that Paul was able to get credibility in order to be in the ministry because he took this approach of, Give the guy grace. Give him time. He's gifted, I assure you. He's someone that we can trust. So really, this, this person-centered centered approach that I think caused this, this division between Barnabas and Paul was actually, ironically, I think, the very thing that got Paul into the ministry in the first place, and something that I'm sure that was not lost on Barnabas as he thought about uh, what was going on here. So that's, that's Barnabas very encouraging. And, you know, Paul did not want to take John Mark with them, Barnabas' cousin with them, because during the encounter with Bar-Jesus, do you remember this story a couple weeks ago when they, they basically had a demonic power encounter? Uh, and, and after that whole thing with, with, this, with uh, the magician and the dark powers of the world, Mark left in Pamphylia, apparently unexpectedly. Uh, and so Paul was saying, I don't think we should bring him with us because he deserted us. That was his interpretation. He deserted us, and he shouldn't be brought back. But uh, apparently, Barnabas had a different perspective. Barnabas thought to himself, as, as a pastor, as a pastor heart, just like he did with, with Paul in the beginning of Paul's ministry, you know, it's my cousin. He was young. He'd never been, you know, around this kind of spiritual warfare stuff. It scared him, but I know that if we just give him another chance, he can do this. Let's give him a chance. Let's bring him with us. And for Barnabas, it became a non-negotiable. This is what we need to do. This is what God would have us to do. That was Barnabas. So to appreciate how this conflict erupted, you have to understand how Paul was different from Barnabas. Paul had a very uh, mission, task-oriented perspective in ministry. It wasn't people. He loved people very much, but it wasn't primarily people-centered. Paul was not the kind of person that would be a, a pastor at a local church for the rest of his life and find fulfillment. He was always going to new places, looking for the next mountain to climb, very much an uh, entrepreneur, and, uh, and uh, he, was, he was still very pastoral uh, in, in the sense of his love for, for people, but he was always moving, and he was primarily task-oriented. So when Paul and Barnabas got together, and they were making decisions about what their ministry team would look like, Barnabas, as, as a pastor, person-centered kind of guy, says, let's give John Mark a chance, just like I gave you a chance uh, back in the day. And Paul says, we can't rely on him. I need someone who will help me fulfill the mission that is unwavering and is going to be uh, proficient and is not going to flake out on us, because we have to get this mission done. And Barnabas is like, it'll probably be fine. I mean, he's a great guy, you know? So this is the issue that they sort of had. Just a different approach, a different personality, a different type of calling, and it brought them into sharp conflict. And to tell you the truth, I think Paul, I'm just um, hypothesizing here, but Paul, uh, we, we read last, a couple of weeks ago about how Peter, 
uh, along with Barnabas, even after they knew that Gentiles, non-Jews, were part of the, the covenant now, when they came to a certain place, they stopped eating with non-Jews. And that was something that made Paul really upset because he said, God has called these people clean. How dare you not eat with them, thus, say, thus saying there is some kind of separation. And he went as far as to say, Barnabas, you're being a hypocrite. So there's something going on where Paul has these unresolved feelings of, okay, first of all, you, you've wavered on one of the key things that I'm about, which is reaching Gentiles, and you, influenced by Peter, refused to eat with them. Second, John Mark flaked out on us when we were having this demonic power encounter thing happening. I need people I can rely on for the mission. This is not going to work. So you can see what's happened here. Two different personalities, two different ways of doing things, two different callings brought them into this sharp dispute, and they separated. For Paul, it was all about getting the mission done, and competence was king. For Barnabas, it was all about helping individuals be pastored along so that they could be a part of what God was doing. Both not incorrect perspectives, but very different. So here's something to reflect on in all humility this morning as we look at this passage. God has a purpose and a plan to use people that are completely different from one another to accomplish his kingdom ministry. God is the only person who is both individual person-focused and mission-focused, task-focused at the same time. God is always achieving his mission in Jerusalem, Judea, and to the ends of the earth all the time, and he's always on that mission. And people think, people like you and me, in our moments of doubt, we think to ourselves, how can God, who's the sovereign controller of all things, and is on mission in the world, and he's worried about all these different things that are happening and concerned, how can he focus on me as an individual? But he does. That's who God is. He's both person-centered, individual-centered, and he's like task mission-centered at the same time because he's God. He does all things well. He does all things at the same time. He's just as concerned about an individual that's overlooked in Saratoga as he is an individual that's overlooked in Bosnia or, or any other part of the world. And he's also, at the same time, sovereignly pushing his mission forward and bringing the church into its fullness globally. And he's working on summing up everything in the whole world underneath the lordship of Christ an ongoing mission that will someday find its fulfillment when Christ comes back as the, uh, as the king. But God is always focusing on us and the mission at the same time, but people not so much. God provides all different types of personalities, and here we've just looked at two personalities in ministry. He's provided so many different types of people because no one person can hold all of that in themselves. No one person can bring God's kingdom in, in, its, in the way it's supposed to be brought forward in all its diversity on their own. We live and serve with people that are, I love this phrase, furiously opposite to one another. Different. Very different. So this is something to reflect on in all humility. God has a purpose and a plan to use people who are completely different from each other and are opposites. God has chosen in his sovereignty to give gifts, callings, and varied personalities to people which are all used in different ways to advance his kingdom. So then, if this is what God has done, then it's incumbent upon us to look around us and, and instead of becoming rubbed the wrong way or irritated or frustrated or judgmental of our brothers and sisters in Christ, it's time for us to take a different perspective and say, you know what? Maybe God made, made, God, maybe God made this person in that way for a reason. Maybe their personality, their giftings, and their callings 
aren't just something that bothers me and gets, I feel like gets in my way at times, but it's something that God actually has to enrich the church. And we need to grow in appreciation. And what the Bible says is uh, that we are to accept one another just as in Christ God accepted us. That's the, the, the uh, most important uh, thing we can do. And if you read in Matthew 18, this is a, a passage about conflict resolution. I'm going to read this for you. It says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. If they will not listen, take one or, one or two others along with you so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. And the end of that passage is a parable that Jesus tells about the unmerciful servant. And in that parable... Uh, we have, and I'm, I'm just going to read it. This is, this is good stuff. Matthew 18. This is as strong of an encouragement as I can think of for why we need to accept one another uh, because Christ has accepted us. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that they have be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found, out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant, just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. We need to appreciate and accept one another just as in Christ, God has accepted us. If God has accepted us in all of our brokenness, in all of our flaws, how can we not be gracious with other people? And the good news is that I think that Paul took both his own advice and the overarching teachings of Jesus to heart. And uh, in, in we see, not explicitly, but we see hints that Paul and Barnabas and Mark were restored relationally a little bit later on. Uh, in 1 Corinthians... Paul talks about Bar Barnabas and says that he is a worthy servant, uh, that he is someone who deserves to be paid for the ministry that he's doing, that he's someone who's, he lifts him up and elevates him and says, this is a good man. He deserves whatever's coming to him financially because he's doing the work. He's made sacrifices along with me to do this work. And, and Paul makes this case in 1 Corinthians 9 that Barnabas is this great guy. Secondly, and I think more humorously, given the conversation we've had, in regard to John Mark, who, who Paul essentially felt was too flaky to be on mission with him, in 2 Timothy 2.11, Paul is coming to the end of his life and his ministry, and he's uh, suffering in jail. And he says this in 2 Timothy 2.11, Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, because he's helpful to me in my ministry. I think that's so funny, because it shows how task-oriented Paul was. He didn't say, bring John Mark, because he's a great comfort to me, 
because he's dear to me, because he's a great friend to me. He said, bring him because he's helpful to me, very utilitarian. He will help me get through the last part of my mission so I can claim the prize which Christ Jesus has called me heavenward. You know, that was Paul's mindset. He was always on mission. But at the end, when he, when he was suffering, when he was coming to the end, uh, he requested that Mark be sent. Isn't that sweet? And uh, both, with both Barnabas, we don't hear much about Barnabas in, in the rest of the New Testament. We, we don't hear uh, much about these guys, but uh, Mark went on to write one of the Gospels in which he talks about spiritual warfare, binding the strong man very clearly. Uh, apparently, just like Barnabas thought, he was able to mature and grow and become the person God called him to be. But if you think about this story and how interrelated all these different parts are, it's good to know there was reconciliation. But it's also interesting to note that without each other, none of these people would have become what they became. Paul wouldn't have become authenticated as an apostle, as, a, as a, someone who was an authentic Christian, without Barnabas, someone who had some sway, you know, basically commending him to the believers. Mark wouldn't have become who he was as a man who was very versed in spiritual warfare and understood uh, the demonic and spiritual realm, even, even so he wrote about a lot of that in his book, if it weren't for Barnabas giving him a chance from his pastor's heart. And, no, and none of that would, happened, would have happened, I guess, if this dispute hadn't happened. So as much as this dispute displays brokenness in God's sovereignty, he did great things through it. And I think this is something... Uh, we can take away from this that uh, God is always working, even with people that are furiously opposite to one another in personality, gifting, and calling. Uh, each part of the body is needed. No part should say to another, I don't need you. Uh, every part, as different as they might be, is needed by God. And God can take our greatest brokenness, which we should avoid coming to, as in this situation, and he turns that into light and uses it to multiply the ministry. So as the worship band comes forward to lead us in a closing song, we have not the final, not the uh, end of the sermon, but the final thoughts, because this was a, a relational problem. This is Jerry Springer. You kind of get it? Final thoughts? Um, number one, love God. No one is truly good but God alone, and people are people. Always remember that. Worship and love God. Two, love and appreciate people who are very, very different from you, understanding and valuing their worth in God's kingdom. God made them that way for a purpose, and God accepts you, so you must accept them. Third, recognize that God can take a terrible situation and use it for good. God is a redeemer. God can make even human wrath serve his praise. And finally, humble yourself, get over yourself, and submit to the king through following steps to reconciliation, which God commands us to do when you hold bad things in your heart towards another person in the body of Christ. And the God who we all serve and praise will work out all the details in his sovereignty. Please join us um, talking about the love of God, which is stronger than human wrath, stronger than our sin, that overcomes in our lives. bless you as you go. I bless you in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit that you would be a people with eyes to see the gifting and beauty that God has placed in people that are maybe far different from yourself. And how God is sovereignly working in all of us um, as diverse as we are to bring about his kingdom purposes. May we grow in grace. May we show mercy. May we be a people of love and acceptance.
In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed. Go and be the church.